Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Thank you so much for joining me today. So today's topic is one that you think you've heard before, but I promise you not quite like this. That's because we're going to be talking about antibiotic lies, antibiotic dangers, and truths. And, you know, I've been practicing uh, natural health care for nearly 29 years, and I've attended chiropractic college, I've attended nutrition college, I've attended medical school, so I think that I'm in a pretty good place to give you a very well-rounded and realistic picture of the antibiotic problem and what you might be able to do about it. Now, I can tell you from the get-go, so you'll want to listen, this is not your average show that simply says, antibiotics bad, don't take them, and leave it at that. It's not that. It also isn't simply that the antibiotic problem is a worldwide problem. You probably knew all that. So you're going to have to listen over the next several minutes as I talk about some unique aspects of antibiotics that do affect you. Even if you say to me, Dr. Wald, I don't take antibiotics or I haven't taken antibiotics, I haven't taken antibiotics in years. The fact that you breathe, the fact that you eat animal products, and the fact that you've shaken a hand of anyone else or touched a table or a surface that anyone else has come in contact with and they themselves have taken antibiotics in the past mean that you have the potential of developing antibiotic resistance because of all of those exposures that I just named and there are others. So let me start by the following question. Should you stop taking antibiotics when you feel better? You know, the traditional medical wisdom, and I say traditional medical wisdom by meaning that pretty much, at least in the United States, the, the uh, mantra is you finish the entire course of the antibiotic. But that concept, the traditional wisdom concept that you should finish the entire course of an antibiotic is now being challenged. So let's say, for example, you've been taking uh, antibiotics for for a sore throat, and after two days you feel better, except the antibiotic capsules or tablets make you feel sick. Should you keep taking them? Well, again, traditional wisdom is that failing to finish the course of the antibiotics allows some of the bacteria for that bacterial infection in your throat to survive. And those resistant bugs will be the hardier ones that can resist the same antibiotic if you should need it again. So for your own good and for that of the antibiotic resistance concept worldwide, you should keep taking the antibiotic tablets. Well, again, that's the prevailing wisdom. But In an article in the American Journal of Australia uh, at the University of Sydney, they wrote that there's a common misconception that resistance of the bacteria will, will happen, that resistance will emerge if a prescribed antibiotic course 
is not completed. So your doctor will say, no, 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 you must finish the course because if you don't, the bacteria that are remaining, well, they'll thrive and they'll increase in numbers and then you'll really be screwed. But it's been argued also in this particular study I just was mentioning that there was minimum risk in stopping antibiotics if the signs and the symptoms of a mild infection have resolved. So if someone is saying that, like where did that come from and, and why all of a sudden is, that, uh, is this a question or something that we should be questioning, that we should stop antibiotics, but my doctor said take them for seven days or take them for three days or take them for 21 days. Where does this concept come from that that's too much and that's too long and that was never right to begin with? Well, a public health professor at Bond University in Queensland said that for most, let's say, acute chest and urinary tract infections, general practitioners should tell their patients to stop taking the antibiotics once they feel better. And it's only for some conditions like tuberculosis or an infection of bone called osteomyelitis that, and a few other deep-seated infections where the symptoms could improve even though the bacteria might still be flourishing, that patients should continue to take the antibiotics unless they finish the entire course or if your doctor tells you otherwise. People who have problems with their immune systems should certainly almost always finish with the antibiotic dose. But again, it depends on your condition and it depends on what your doctor says. So should most of us go against decades of medical advice and stop taking antibiotics once we feel better? Well, from my investigations into this question, the answer is yes. Yes, you should stop or you should consider stopping taking antibiotics once you start feeling better. Now, I have to give you a disclaimer right now, as you might imagine, I am not telling you to, to stop taking your antibiotics. What I am saying to you is that you should talk to your prescribing doctor, ask him or her, first of all, do I need these antibiotics? You might say, isn't that kind of a Silly question because why would my doctor be recommending antibiotics if I didn't need them? Sometimes doctors make knee-jerk recommendations and they write scripts because they write scripts and they do things because they're supposed to or at least they think they're supposed to. But if you challenge them from time to time, you will find that sometimes they will change your mind and says, well, they'll say, you know, maybe, yeah, you don't really need this. Let's, or let's, at least let's be in touch. Let's see how you feel after a few days of the antibiotic. And your doctor is likely to say that if you don't have some horrific type of infection like osteomyelitis or, or tuberculosis. It is complicated. The solution is complicated. And it depends, uh, as I just said, on what you've been given the antibiotic for. So stopping antibiotics prematurely, we do know now will not directly increase the risk of resistance. I need to repeat that, I need you to hear this, that stopping your antibiotic prematurely will not directly increase your risk of bacterial resistance. Because bacterial resistance much more commonly happens with prolonged use of antibiotic treatment at doses of that antibiotic that were too low. So too low of a dose 
for too long a period of time, that's what causes potentially antibiotic resistance. Stopping an antibiotic once you feel better, as long as you do not have a horrific type of infection, such as, once again, I'll say it, tuberculosis and osteomyelitis, will not increase your risk of resistance. Quite the opposite. In many cases, our bodies can mop up the leftover bacteria. So, you know, if you have a, a, an uncomplicated urinary tract infection, whether you're a man or a woman, you should be taking antibiotics on average for about three days. And um, even if there are bacteria left over that cause that infection, the body does have an immune system and it's usually able to mop up leftover bacteria. And as many people, let's say with respiratory tract infections, also don't need antibiotics in the first place because the infection is usually viral. So a lot of upper upper respiratory tract infections are treated with antibiotics by doctors. Again, this knee-jerk writing the prescription, or quite honestly, folks, some of you just insist you just want that antibiotic. Boy, what did we ever do without antibiotics? Anyway, antibiotics do something that you all know. They change your gut flora. They don't just change your gut flora. They change it super quickly. A single dose of antibiotics starts to wipe out your indigenous, harmless bacteria, leaving you susceptible to resistant bacteria. And one of these resistant bacteria, which is killing hundreds of thousands of people every year in the United States and abroad, I don't know what the statistics are abroad, but hundreds of thousands, over 400,000 people a year which is caused by antibiotic resistance is C. difficile or Clostridium difficile bacteria. It comes from the French term, which means hard to kill. So I've seen this when I did my hospital rotations and it's horrible. I remember an individual moaning in their isolated hospital room and uh, I had to go in there with the chief of uh, gastroenterology at the time, it was in a New Jersey hospital, and we had to wear our gowns and our face masks and our eye goggles and our, uh, of course, our gloves. And everything had to be put on in a certain order to reduce the risk of us bringing anything else into the room. So there we are talking with this patient. And I noticed that the chief is uh, writing notes and then he puts his note book down on the table. He examines the patient. We leave. We very carefully, in a very specific order, take off our gloves and our face masks and our, and our, um, our gowns and also uh, our hair meshes. But then I'm realizing that the doctor is holding his notepad that he put on the table in a room with a patient who had diarrhea everywhere because Clostridium difficile causes a watery diarrhea that is unrelenting and extremely uh, painful, not to mention uncomfortable. And uh, he brought all of these resistant Clostridium difficile uh, bacteria and who knows what else into the rest of the hospital. But hey, listen, we can't come down on this doctor too hard because he's not the first one. That's also not the first time he did that. I was part of it. And I was aware of trying to reduce my, uh, my footprint in that room. Hospitals are disgusting places. 
If you need to go to a hospital, you want to get in and you want to get out as often as possible. You want to touch almost nothing. And if you do touch something, wash your hands constantly. Clean out under your fingernails and your cuticles. You will become inoculated with all manner of resistant bugs. The worst place on this planet, most likely, for resistant organisms to thrive are hospitals. They may look clean, but as you know, they're not clean. So... No matter what we do, is what I'm trying to say, antibiotic resistance is not ever going away. It's not going away. Those resistant bugs are resistant to practically every known antibiotic that has ever been invented. And as I'll discuss in a few minutes, there is not a big rush to develop stronger and different classes of antibiotics. There's just no money in it. So these are extreme problems. So let's look like, hey, so I was mentioning how antibiotics wipe out all of your indigenous harmless bacteria in your gut, leaving you susceptible to resistant bacteria because you take an antibiotic and you kill a bunch of bugs. And which ones survive? Right, the, the hardiest ones. And the thing about bacteria that you may not think about uh, even a lot of doctors uh, don't think about this sometimes, is the fact that bacteria become resistant. That's number one. But bacteria that were once, let's say, in your gut, they might even be considered potentially pathogenic, meaning that in some people, it can make them extremely sick. But in you, they're not. We know that there are bacteria in us right now that are potentially lethal, but our immune systems manage a balance of the environment in our gut. So these bugs are never a problem. But if you take the environment of your intestinal tract and you alter it in a bad way, you make it leaky, you stress it out, you promote inflammation, which happens with every dose of antibiotic that you take, it will cause small intestine bacterial overgrowth, potentially, or at the very least, a leaky gut situation where the antibiotic causes an increase in the space between the, the cells in the intestinal tract, what they call the tight junctions. The tight junctions become less tight. They open up and then all sorts of hell breaks loose in the gut, like malabsorption, intestinal problems, immune problems, autoimmune disease, cancers, diabetes, you name it. There probably is not a condition that has been associated with either small intestine, bacterial overgrowth, or leaky gut. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, leaky gut. Yeah, that's my diagnosis. I have leaky gut. Okay, so what caused your leaky gut? Maybe genetics, maybe years of uh, antibiotic treatment. And what caused it in you and not someone else that may have had identical antibiotic treatments? There's resiliency factors having to do with the, your inherent immune resiliency to withstand uh, disease happening, and then also your diet and your lifestyle, and toxins and electromagnetic influences, all sorts of influences upon your immune system that can play upon your gut immune system. Your enteric immune system, which is your gut immune system, 70% of your whole body's immune system is in your small intestine. Yeah, a lot of people are very surprised to hear that. And the immune system 
in your small intestine is in what are called the Peyer's patches, which are patch-like networks of immune clusters, to say the least, in your small intestine wall. And every dose of antibiotic adversely affects it. You may not have, and you do not have to have, gut symptoms. You do not have to have gastrointestinal symptoms to have gut problems. In fact, even with celiac disease, which everyone listening knows is a genetically inherited gluten intolerance, even with that condition, 50% of the time, those individuals with known celiac disease have no gastrointestinal symptoms. Their symptoms are everywhere else. They may have fertility problems due to the malabsorption and hormone disruption and endocrine disruption of gluten. They might have osteopenia or osteoporosis, various levels of bone loss from the malabsorption. They might have cancer. They might have minimal brain dysfunction. They may have dementia. They may have depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, all sorts of things. Don't think that just because you do not have a gut symptom that you don't have a gut problem from antibiotics. I mean, some antibiotics have even been linked to Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease. So what about the length of antibiotic regimes? How long should an antibiotic uh, be prescribed? So I mentioned earlier that urinary tract infections, they're generally treated for three days, two days, three days, a lot of doctors still do five-day courses. And I have patients, and they keep getting these bacterial infections. And they say to me, yeah, Dr. Wall, my doctor told me that I, I keep getting uh, new infections. I'm like, these sound to me like these are recurrent infections. When a person has a long, drawn-out course of an infection, that is usually it is usually a sign of antibiotic resistance from being on antibiotics incorrectly. So it comes to the doctor's um, experience, uh, their clinical experience. There are no really good studies that say, this is how long you should take these antibiotics for. So someone just made up one day, take them as long as the pharmaceutical companies recommend we should because that means something, um, and no one question it, like a lot of uh, what goes on in medicine. So for those of you just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, and I practice holistic health care in Katona, uh, New York, which is located an hour north of New York City. We're talking about antibiotic resistance today, antibiotic lies, antibiotic dangers, and antibiotic Truths. For those of you who want to contact me, either to work with me face-to-face or by distance or to send me some of your show ideas, call me at 914-552-1442 or email me at info at blooddetective.com. So if you're given an antibiotic, ask your doctor if you really need it. Don't assume you actually need it because it was recommended to you. And if you also ask if you can stop taking it when you feel better. And then if your doctor says, no, 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 take it until it's done. Say why. And say, doctor, I don't mean to question you, but I was made aware that there is some controversy regarding whether or not antibiotics for uncomplicated infections like mine, 
I have a uh, you know, urinary tract infection, for example, I have a throat infection, that maybe I do not need them nearly as long. And by stopping the antibiotics when I feel better, I actually will reduce the risks of antibiotic resistance and see what your doctor says. If they look at you as if you have six eyeballs, then uh, you can pretty much reason out that they do not know their stuff and you might want to change doctors. In all seriousness, the days of you merely accepting what your doctors tell you are, are, are over. At least they should be over. And the patients that I see that question everything, these people, some of you are listening now, you actually apologize to me for, for questioning me. And you'll say things like, Dr. Wilder, I don't mean to question you, but should I be taking this nutrient in this way? And then I usually say, please don't ever apologize for questioning me. I love that I'm being questioned. This is how I learn. This is your health. And if there's something that you say to me and I don't have an answer for it, then I won't make one up. I'll look it up. I'll figure it out and I'll let you know. So you want to be proactive in your health care. So the so-called rule that a person like you must finish your antibiotic course is absolutely wrong. Experts suggest that patients should stop taking their antibiotics when they feel better rather than them completing their prescriptions. Telling people to stop taking antibiotics when they feel better may be preferable to telling them to finish the entire course. And this whole group of experts that I read they say the very same things. And it may take some time before the powers that be change the specific guidelines that doctors use. You know, I don't remember the name of the book, but there is a book that talks about the average amount of time it takes for new inventions and new concepts to become part of the regular curriculum. So for example, when the stethoscope uh, was invented. That's that instrument that doctors use to listen to your heart and lungs. Uh, it was invented something like 25 years before it was actually used in routine medical practice, simply because doctors are slow to change. A lot of us don't like to change anything. And the book is loaded with all these examples, and I'm promising you, well, we can already see this. It doesn't take a genius to figure this one out. This antibiotic problem is one of those rules that needs to be thrown away. To take an antibiotic based on no evidence for some period of time uh, makes no sense. Not only does it make no sense, it has gotten us into a very dangerous conundrum. Many of you listening, and I'm uh, included in this, living on this planet, will likely die of an infection that could have been easily treated just a decade ago with the prevailing antibiotics. But because of antibiotic resistance on this planet, antibiotics that once worked easily will not work. And it's also been said and estimated, and the stats clearly show this trajectory happening, that the number one cause of death within the next handful of years will no longer be cardiovascular disease and cancer it will be infectious disease. And by the way, if you think you're gonna take a couple of herbs and you're gonna protect your immune system or take cat's claw or some 
tincture that you think is an antibiotic replacement, you really need to think again. Because that honestly is another level of ignorance that I see that is astounding. In order to improve your resiliency against infections in the first place and your resiliency to recover from infections once you get them and to deal with certain infections that you must take an antibiotic for but you want to mitigate the effects with you, the long and short-term effects of the antibiotics, their adverse effects, you need to figure out your, your complex personalized nutritional needs. This isn't going to be resolved by you just taking a probiotic, although that's a good idea probably. It's not going to be resolved by you increasing protein in your diet, which you need to make immune cells and immunoglobins. That's part of it. But whatever you need for your needs, which sometimes takes questionnaires, I certainly use detailed questionnaires and conversation with patients, laboratory tests, medical health history, also looking at what the goal is in the future. All of these factors and others must go into what it takes to improving your immune system to avoid infection in the first place. Having said that, to be super responsible, I want to say Hand washing is still considered the number one prophylactic against infections. Although I must question the use of the antibacterial soaps and also mouthwash. Because if we're acknowledging that antibiotics cause resistant organisms when used improperly, if we have bacteria on our hands and we want to get it off and we use antibacterial soap, we're going to kill some bugs, right? And guess what? Some others will survive. I will promise you, because I have never seen any evidence of this, so if anyone out there can help me with this, please do. I have not seen any evidence to suggest that we do not develop resistant organisms on our hands from using antibacterial soaps. So at least soap and water for sure. And then with mouthwashes, the same thing. You're going to kill some bugs in your mouth and others you're not and they will become resistant over the course of the repeated uses. I have done some research into the use of herbal tinctures which I've combined together in my natural mouthwash which I use. I recommend that to my patients because it makes sense to use herbs which have also anti-inflammatory effects which reduce the leakiness of the mouth. Some of you might remember I did a show called Leaky Mouth Syndrome. I mean, think about it. You get how bad leaky gut is for seeding the body with infectious agents and, and uh, inflammatory mediators and partially undigested foods that go through leaky guts causing a reaction and a cascade of events throughout the whole body. I mean, anything can happen. Why wouldn't the same thing be a potential with the oral cavity? In fact, we know it. We've known that probably longer than we've known about leaky gut. So if you have a leaky mouth, which you do, I mean, dentists know this, Particularly when they do dental work, they cause not just microscopic inflammatory openings in the mouth, but some of them are, are big because of the, the, the type of dental work. I just had an email 
with a, with a woman who is saying her friend that she worked with for years went to get a dental procedure. She got a heart infection from the dental work and she died. Now, dentists for years have been giving prophylactic antibiotics to prevent the occurrence of bacterial endocarditis, which are what they call vegetative kind of clots of bacteria that can accumulate usually in the valvular areas in the heart. But then dentists were using prophylactic antibiotics for so many things that that has added to the antibiotic resistance problem. And the standard of care that was once dentists would recommend everyone practically getting prophylactic antibiotics is now not to be done. Confused? You're thinking, well, wait a minute, Dr. Wald, you just told us that this woman died from bacterial endocarditis from this dental work. So why wouldn't someone, why wouldn't anyone want to take an, uh, an antibacterial before dental work to prevent it? The thing is this, and I, I'll call it the law of exceptions. And the law of exceptions is that you can always come up with a bad case of something, like a person, this poor lady who died from this dental procedure. But most of the time, that does not happen. It just doesn't happen. It's like when someone says to me, Dr. Wald, and these are the critical patients. <laughs> you know, Some people just want to bust my chops. <laughs> they'll come and they'll say, Dr. Wald, um, why should I eat healthy and like be a vegan or eat that way and take these nutrients? Why should I do that? I have a, I have a 96-year-old uncle and he's been a chain smoker for all his life. And I would, I would say, well, you know, thank goodness for, for your uncle. That's wonderful, I said. But you couldn't put 20 people like him together on the entire planet. So people tend to sometimes latch on to exceptions and make them general rules. And they make wrong decisions. A lot of people do that. Wrong, wrong decisions. We do it as individuals. No one is exempt from this. It's just the difference between those of us that are uh, sheep those of us that just react to these sorts of things and those of us that are thinking individuals is that the thinking individuals somehow, maybe by accident or by just freak luck, they one day say, hey, why do I just believe that? I need to question that. And not only do I need to question it, I need to know why I'm, I believe this or why I've been giving my kids inoculations their whole lives and, and why... Uh, I, I never questioned my doctor's uh, prescription writing for long-term antibiotic use. It's, it's unbelievable. So let's, let's back up for a second. So patients generally, traditionally, the patients have been told that they must complete courses of antibiotics, the theory being that taking too few tablets or capsules of the antibiotics will allow bacteria causing their disease to mutate and become resistance to the bugs. But there was a professor at, uh, of infectious disease at um, Sussex Medical School, and he, he and his colleagues claim that that is simply not true. In fact, they pointed out to an analysis in the, in the British Medical Journal where the experts said that the idea that stopping antibiotic treatments early encourages antibiotic resistance is not supported by any evidence at all. 
while taking antibiotics for longer than necessary, the exact opposite, in fact, it does increase the risk of antibiotic resistance. What's interesting to me, what this reminds me of is that when we talk about the lack of evidence in, in medicine, many, many doctors, and they really believe this because, again, they are not thinking. There is another concept in psychology called the theory of consensus. And the theory of consensus basically states that a group of individuals, because most of them think a certain way, it must be true. I mean, why wouldn't it be true? Well, the consensus, and it may still be the consensus of the American Medical Association by the time this show airs, is that everyone should finish their antibiotic dose because there's evidence is simply wrong. It is a lie. It is a ver- verifiable lie. So beware of the rule of consensus and the rule of medical evidence. I speak with practitioners, doctors all the time, and they, they keep talking about evidence for this and evidence for that or no evidence for nutrition and no evidence for nutritional supplements. And I say, prove it. And they get into an emotional huffy, puffy thing and because their poor little egos are hurt. And, I'm, and I say, well, if you're saying there's no evidence for the use of turmeric and cancer or the use of uh, ketogenic promoters in all manner of neurologic disease or there's no evidence of probiotics for gut health and immunity, anxiety and depression, all in one sentence, then um, show me, show me evidence to the contrary because I have so much evidence that when a patient says, Dr. Wald, my doctor says there's no evidence, what do you say? I'm dumbfounded. And I'll say, I am dumbfounded. I don't even know where to start with the amount of information. And then they will say, which is rational, but Dr. Wald, how can that be? My doctor's so very smart. He cares so much. He's such a nice guy. She's such a nice lady. And I say, I don't care how nice they are. They are ignorant and it is not acceptable. If I do not know something, I look it up. If I learn something new or learn that something that I have been doing is wrong, then I'm going to fess up to that and improve myself as a person because this is just too important not to. This is not about me. This is about your health. Of course, I, we have a nicer tone in the conversation, because, but these are, these are things that happen all day long. Okay, back to the topic. So there are some diseases where the bug can become resistant if the drugs are not taken for long enough. The most obvious example is tuberculosis. Most of the bacteria, but I should say, but most of the bacteria that cause people to become ill are actually found on everybody's hands in the community, and they cause no harm. E. coli, Staphylococcus aureus, people fall ill only when these bugs on the skin, like Staph and E. coli, get into the bloodstream or in the gut. The longer these sorts of bacteria are exposed to antibiotics, though, the more likely it is that that resistance will develop. That's That's the takeaway here. The longer someone's on antibiotics, 
the greater the risk of antibiotic resistance developing. I have children, patients that come to me whose parents, because their doctors told them to, have been giving them antibiotics for their inflammatory bowel disease or other type of gut problem for their entire lives. They take it every day. When I think about it, I think I'm horrified. I'm absolutely horrified that nothing else was even tried with these patients, even if that does end up being the the last course of a thing you can do for a person's condition. Try everything else first. Almost nothing's ever tried. Almost nothing's ever tried. And not even a probiotic. And you might be saying, well, okay, well, what is what is the answer to can I take probiotics with antibiotics? Or should I take the probiotics away from the antibiotics? And if so, uh, how far away should I do it, right? You all have those questions? You, you, you want me to answer them? I'm not gonna do that today, but no, I'm kidding, a little bit. Okay, here's how it goes. Number one, I bet you never heard of this, unless you heard it from my show, <laughs> that when you're on an antibiotic, An antibiotic kills certain bugs. It doesn't kill every bacteria. It kills only certain types of bacteria. And the same is true for antibiotics and probiotics. Antibiotics don't kill every type of probiotic. So how do you know what to do? You have to talk to someone who knows what they're doing. It's just not something you can learn on the radio or read in a book you have to deal with your particular circumstance. That's why I have probiotic and other nutritional protocols based upon the types and courses and general health conditions of the people that I'm seeing at the time I am seeing them. We need the right drug or the right nutrient for the right person at the right time, at the right dose, for the right length of time. So what's interesting, and I'll say it again, the longer bacteria, your infection is exposed to antibiotics, the much more likely resistance is to develop. Holy moly. That's exactly the opposite of what medicine's been doing. They're wanting you to stay on antibiotics for longer and longer and longer. They're not looking, at least until now, we're just starting to question this, is what's the minimum effective dose of an antibiotic? And what's the minimum time to get the maximum effect relative to the condition. So the prevailing wisdom of keeping people on antibiotics for longer than needed is what is causing this problem. So some experts say there's too little research into the ideal length of a course of antibiotic because it you know, varies from individual to individual depending on you know, what antibiotic you're talking about, uh, what antibiotic or antibiotics has the person taken in the past? Have they, have they worked, have they not? And I would also add to that, what's the patient's current level of immunity? What's their overall health status, their disease status? What's their nutritional status? All of these factors have to do with what antibiotic, how long, and how to manage it in that person. The World Health Organization is now working on a stance of stopping the antibiotic when a person is better. And I mean, I've always thought it to be extremely illogical to say that stopping an antibiotic early promotes 
the emergence of drug-resistant organisms. To me, that never made any sense. So I would have to say that the idea that antibiotics should be used more sparingly and also pointing out the, the evidence that a long duration of therapy is certainly very, very questionable and at best very tenuous. So far from being irresponsible, shortening the duration of a course of antibiotics might make antibiotic resistance less likely. There was an article in the peer-reviewed journal, The Lancet, and this was back in, I think, 1999. Uh, And it was called, uh, Don't Keep Taking the Tablets. So it remains astonishing that apart from some specific infections and specific conditions, we still do not know more about the optimum duration of courses and even doses of the use of antibiotic in a lot of conditions. We don't know them. So this takes attention to the individual, one case at a time, one person at a time, to figure this out. It also takes communication with your prescribing doctor. Because if you're not in communication, then how do you know one day if you feel good enough and that means you should stop? If you have to wait till next week or three months later to see your doctor, or if no follow-up appointment is, is made, well then we're not dealing with this problem, not just in you as an individual, but as a worldwide uh, epidemic of microbial uh, resistance. And I remember too that there was a, a professor of microbial uh, pathogenesis at St. George University of London, and it was described that the evidence for completing the course of antibiotics is very poor, and that the length of the course of antibiotics, uh, based upon fear of undertreating rather than overtreating, let me say that again, basically, Docs overtreat, give people antibiotics for too long because in their minds they're thinking, well, if there's some bugs still lurking in there, we'll give more antibiotics. Maybe that does sound logical on one level, but this is not only an illogical way of thinking, it is an unscientific way of thinking, and it is that way of thinking exactly that has created the antibiotic resistance problem we have worldwide. There are guidelines, of course, you know, doctors can look up in treatment books and they're taught in medical schools and in continuing education courses. This is the condition and this is how much antibiotic you give. So on one level, that sounds reasonable. Guidelines make sense. Uh, The problem with guidelines is they're guidelines. Uh, Guidelines uh, are commonly not questioned. They, and doctors misinterpret guidelines as being the only way of doing things, removing their clinical judgment. But if their clinical judgment, I'm not saying this problem is an easy one to resolve, if their clinical judgment is one that says, well, I was taught this, but I think that if I give too much, that's probably bad too, which is worse, what do I do? If I don't do this, I can get sued, or if I'd rather not give the patient this antibiotic at all, they get mad at me, 
These are real problems. Okay, however, we should be weary that we don't want people who need antibiotics for specific infections to take them for too short a period of time either. I know this may sound like I'm going over the same thing over and over again, but it's very important for, realize that, for people to realize that not all infections are the same. I know we get that on, on one level, but they are different, and the course and type of antibiotic or combinations of antibiotics uh, make all the difference in terms of eradicating an infection. So that's, that's one thing. And the message uh, to the, the public, I think, remains the same, which should be that people should follow the, your, the advice of your doctors. I cannot tell you not to listen to your doctor. All I can tell you to do is question your doctor with a healthy uh, dose of um, self-education. Remember, we, again, we keep talking about blood detect, be your own blood detective. You want to educate yourself. And if you get confused because the doctor is not agreeing that maybe you should take a shorter course, um, do some more research. But I must say, you, you should be following the advice of your doctor. I have people, though, that I see, and because they have a gut feeling that they shouldn't take either these antibiotics or this drug, some other class of drugs completely, uh, and they can hurt themselves. You know, um, I recently had a young woman in with hypothyroidism, and she was in with her family, and she decided just to stop taking her thyroid medication, but she doesn't have a thyroid gland. She had thyroid cancer early, and it was removed. And then she developed a whole new health problem, and which was a severe health problem, which could have been triggered from her sudden discontinuation of her thyroid medication. Which brings us to another point. Antibiotics, by affecting the gut, can affect the metabolism of many other types of medications. So these things cannot be thought of in a vacuum. An antibiotic uh, also involves the liver and, uh, and other types of detoxification, metabolic pathways that can affect the use of other drugs one direction or another, too much or too little. And people don't often realize the drug-drug interactions, just like it's hard to miss sometimes what are called positive and adverse drug-nutrition interactions or even nutrient-nutrient negative interactions like taking copper and, and zinc with N-acetylcysteine, an amino acid. The N-acetylcysteine will bind to a good amount of the zinc or copper, so you don't take them at the same time. Also, not the smartest thing to take a large dose of vitamin C with iron or a large dose of vitamin E with iron. Are there exceptions? Possibly. My point, though, is that there are a countless number of both positive and negative drug nutrient interactions and nutrient-nutrient interactions that need to be considered in the mix. Didn't mean to get too far off the course of antibiotics, but it, it, I think that was worth mentioning. And you know, 
The, the National Institutes of Health and Care Excellence, they are currently developing guidelines for managing common infections. And the Department of Health also says and continues to review the evidence on prescribing and drug-resistant infections. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise. Of course you would think, well, at least I would think, the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Health will continue to examine the problem of antibiotic resistance. I've read this in many, uh, many reports. Okay, so what have you been doing all these last decades? We know that antibiotic resistance is here. We know antibiotic resistance is not going away. We must reduce the risks for the average individual to die prematurely of infections that they could have easily had managed with antibiotics just a handful of years ago. A lot of that will come to avoidance of infection in the first place, as I said, avoiding people who are sick, wearing face masks if necessary, um, wearing gloves in some circumstances, uh, keeping your immune system strong by taking the right nutritional supplements, by eating a well-balanced diet, uh, maybe even checking some of your immune system's tests on objective testing to know that you have a strong immune system, uh, to uh, practice uh, hand hygiene, and all sorts of other things that we would do to help reduce infections. And if you listen to my other show, Everything Infection or Everything Immunity, uh, you will learn quite a bit more about these concepts. So what else can we say about this problem? First of all, without action on this antibiotic problem, medicine will literally return to the dark ages. If there is continued overprescribing and abuse of antibiotics, we'll have more and more people will likely die of resistant infections than die of cancer. So global cooperation is imperative. And global cooperation starts with individual awareness. You know, we have known for a very long time, doctors and scientists have long warned of this antibiotic resistance problem, but few outside of medicine even in medicine, had taken this at all seriously. And an example of this is that the consumption of antibiotics, listen to this, it rose 36% between the year 2000 and just 2010. And since then, it's gotten even worse. So antibiotic resistance is clearly here to stay. And without effective antibiotics, we could see an end to life-saving organ transplants, to, to chemotherapy, which requires, which causes lots of infections, secondary infections, that we won't be able to treat. And routine operations such as cesareans and, and hip replacements that um, continued misuse and overuse of antibiotics could, within just a generation or so, see the global death toll from drug-resistant infections rise from about 700,000 today to 10 million. Like I said, more than the number of people who currently die of cancer. So maybe we should just make more antibiotics, right? Well, we urgently need new antibiotics, but no new classes of antibiotics have been approved since the 1980s. 
So between 1940 and 1962, about 20 classes of different antibiotics were produced, but industry backing has decreased so much, so significantly since that golden age of antibiotic uh, production. The pipeline of new treatments is all but absolutely dry. The void fast exploited by the resistant bacteria. We don't have new drugs, the bacteria just overrun. So a concerning number are now resistant to drugs reserved as the last line of defense and the most vulnerable are in the greatest danger. So we've got young people, old people, critically ill people, they have resistance and drugs that, antibiotics that were used long ago that haven't been used for a long time, they're starting to take these out of the draw to try to treat these infections. It's really very sobering because blood infections caused by drug-resistant microbes kill more than 200,000 newborn babies every year. This is in the United States, and that's just babies. I don't know. The reason for lack of interest from the pharmaceutical industry? Well, I kind of know. You kind of know. It's, it's pretty simple, if you think about it. The economics, they just, it just doesn't add up. Developing new antibiotics is scientifically challenging, it's time-consuming, it's costly. The medicines we so badly need cannot be allowed to be sold in volume. They must be conserved for real need. We have to change the way medicine's working. And, of course, there needs to be fair access to antibiotics. It's got to be guaranteed when needed. But that would limit their retail value. So many early stage products, uh, projects will fail, making them a risky bet. I mean, why would a pharmaceutical company develop more drugs if it's going to be recommended for shorter periods of time with fewer people in the most uh, extreme and exacting circumstances? It's just, why would anyone say I'm going to throw my money into that? And even those who did jump into the pharmaceutical companies that did jump into the uh, let's say, the uh, antibiotic production era again, it'll take them at least a, a 10 years, uh, it's been estimated, to produce medicines that are safe for human use. So w- what are some of the, the final thoughts here? What are some things that we might be able to do to fix this problem? First of all, we have to fix the broken antibiotic market. We have to ensure fair access to new and existing medicines, particularly in the low and middle income countries where their needs the greatest. We need hospitals. We gotta have hospitals implementing better measures to stop infection spread. And like that example I gave you earlier with the patient with C. difficile and we put on the masks and the gowns and the gloves and the hats, all these things, it's not working. It's not working, it's a joke. In fact, when I was doing nursing rounds in Florida several months ago, I was in several nursing homes and I saw nurses and and nurse techs with my own eyes going from one patient's room to another, handling the patient, handling their trays, handling urine bowls, picking up patients from the ground, discussing and transmitting all of this from one person to another. 
I mean, if you get out of these places alive, it's a miracle. It is an absolute miracle. And a lot of the misbehavior in nursing homes of older individuals there, they know, they, the, the nurses will say, uh, well, no, that's because he probably has a urinary tract infection. And guess what? That's a common reason why someone might be like really ornery. There was one guy, a retired police officer, he was in, he was in a wheelchair, and he was nasty and he was cursing. I, it, was, it was astounding to me. But then one of the nurses says, oh, he's probably got another infection. He gets them like every other week. He'll be fine once we get him on his antibiotic. And then they gave him his antibiotic, and the next day I saw him, and guess what? He was fine. There's all sorts of symptoms that infections can give you, other than just what you think the symptoms of infection are. What are those symptoms that, ant that uh, infections can give you that you wouldn't think of? How about anything? How about when you have a health problem that you just don't know what it is? Maybe it's an infection. Why not at least think about it? Better sanitation. We need better sanitation. We need better basic hygiene in communities to prevent infection from taking hold in the first place. I, you know, preventing something is a lot easier than treating it, of course, but I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just our human race. We, we just don't seem to be able to put our heads together to take some simple steps to prevent. Again, like hand washing. It, it, it's just astounding to me. We need a better understanding of the environmental impact of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Some people don't know anything about this. You know, it was already a couple of years ago, before I shaved my head, I was getting a haircut, and I mentioned something about antibiotic resistance to my, the lady who was cutting my hair. And she did not even know what antibiotic resistance was. She never heard of it. So what you know is not necessarily what everyone else knows. And this is part of the problem. So we need to get education out there. We also need to stop antibiotic pollution. We cannot continue to pour antibiotics into the farming industry and the agricultural industry. We have to have restrictions on the use of antibiotics. I mean, it's only been up until fairly recently in my awareness that someone said, hey, if we give these animals antibiotics and they get antibiotic-resistant organisms and then we're eating them, don't we get their antibiotic resistance? The answer is probably yes. Well, folks, I could go on, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to end it, um, at least for now. I want to thank you so much for suggesting the topic. And um, for those of you just listening to the show, thanks for tuning in. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and I am the Director of Nutrition at my own clinic in Katona, New York, an hour north of New York City. Feel free to give me a call at 914 5521442 and send me your email ideas or questions or comments on the show to info at blooddetective.com. My number once again is 9145521442 and I look forward to speaking with you all at the next show. Bye-bye. Too late.